0: Hi, and welcome to the Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra podcast. I'm Felipe Tristan, associate conductor, and the clip of music you just heard was Huapango by Jose Pablo Moncayo. Today, we are very happy and honored to have a very special guest, Victoria Cune, who is revolutionizing the music industry for women in Latin America, and in fact, we're recording this very episode at Victoria Records, where she is CEO. We're recording this episode all the way from Monterrey, Mexico. Welcome, Victoria. Thank you for being here.
1: Hi, Felipe. I feel like we need to let people know first of all how special this interview is because we are best friends, and That's right. we've never done this like we've never done anything kind of like work related or, you know, and this is amazing. I'm so excited.
0: That's right. And and you are one of my best friends. That's that's for sure. Uh, People need to know that you are really uh, one of the top uh, leading uh, females in the industry, (gasps) if not the top. Um, And of course, I am biased because you're my best friend. But (laughs) but it is true. And for that reason, I thought very important to invite you to our Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra podcast to share your experience, to share your insights on what is uh, what it's like to be a woman in uh, in the music industry, in an industry yeah. that's heavily uh, loaded with with uh, misconceptions, with things that yeah. people may think of and are just wrong. And you. You've been a, a very important figure to change those misconceptions. So let's jump right in and tell us who is Victoria Kune.
1: So I was very lucky because my family was in the business. Um, I actually grew up in the business. I grew up in the music industry. I don't know anything else. Um, my parents started that recording studios where you're sitting right now when I was 11 years old so basically that's where I grew up. My entire childhood was in the recording studios um, absorbing everything that was happening there. I would finish school and go straight to the studio so I would be doing my homework on top of the console there in Studio A. It was a different console. We didn't used to have that SSL. We used to have a sunny Oxford there but I remember literally doing my homework on top of the sunny Oxford next to the engineer like Just kind of always being surrounded by music, by the top producers in the industry. Um, We used to do artist development um, because we used to have a, well, not we at that point, it was my dad and my brother, but um, they used to have a sub label with EMI. So we would do a lot of artist development. So there were always like all these different artists and producers and writers and just like people from the industry coming into the studios and flying in from all over the world. The label used to be based in the US. So it was a lot of mainly US um, industry people. So that's how I grew up. And at 14, I started doing musical theater, I did my first audition, um, my first professional audition, I got my first job, signed my first contract, got my first paycheck at 14. And I never stopped working. I haven't stopped working since. I was 14 years old. So I thought musical theater was going to be my thing. And I did it for two years and I did it professionally. And honestly, there's no, there's no bigger discipline than the theater. I feel like that prepared me for everything else. After you've done theater, musical theater, especially, I feel like Everything else feels easy because it really is the hardest thing in the world. Yeah, it's like it really, really, really teaches you everything. And um, we were super lucky that we used to have like amazing people like coming in from New York and everything while we were doing um, The Sound of Music, which was the show that I did at the time. And I remember like they trained us so well, like as a kid, I really got the best training there. Um, they taught me to harmonize they taught me to do all these things because you're singing with all these kids and so at 16 once that finished and we wrapped up like the last season of that show I went straight again to just going back to the recording studios every day and I started writing with a lot of the songwriters that would come for like song camps and everything as you know at Victoria Records we have bedrooms we have you know it's like whole thing so people would just like come in from the u.s and stay there and do songwriting camps and all these type of things and eventually i started joining in and um they kind of let my dad know like hey your 16 year old is you know a really good songwriter maybe we should take her to nashville there's something there maybe we should take her to nashville she needs to start making the rounds in nashville writing with people and you know like let's get her out of her comfort zone because at the end of the day I mean I was writing there right which was such a safe zone and my comfort zone so they took me out of there and they started taking me to Nashville and I started working a lot in Nashville as a songwriter at just 16 right so yeah basically it never stopped I just kept working 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 um I ended up, like, I graduated high school. I immediately moved to Florence, to Italy, because I really wanted to, like, just study all the arts. I've always kind of thought of myself more as a multidisciplinary artist, not just, like, a musician. So, yeah, I went there because I really wanted to be surrounded by, like, beautiful art, beautiful architecture, beautiful music. And I started doing vocal training there, And then when I came back, then that was it. I just started like working, working, working on music. Um, Then I moved to Australia because I wanted to like study anthropology. Then I did a couple of classes at UCLA that had to do with like film production. And eventually I just moved to LA and I thought that was it, right? I was like, I don't know, this was like maybe nine years ago or eight years ago. I moved to LA and I was like, this is it. This is where I'm gonna stay forever. Um, I was in LA and I thought this is it, this is where I'm staying, I'm not going anywhere. Um I had my life in LA, I had, you know, the boyfriend, the everything, the perfect, perfect, wow. perfect life. So I was it, like, I it
0: yeah. almost seems as if the universe wanted you to have uh, a role like a major role in the arts because you were surrounded by it as you described
1: mm-hmm. you were
0: um, you grew up in very much inside the studio and I did uh, and you know all of this and then what happens
1: so that was basically my mentality so when I moved to LA I was like I need to make it here there is no way I'm like moving back home, especially because I had made such a big deal about it, you know, like I'm gone, this is it, this is my life now, and I really did create a beautiful life in LA for myself, like my friends there are still some of my best friends in the world, and I just, I loved everything about my life, I loved my place, I loved the people I was working with, I loved, um, my community there, my community in the industry, um, Like I said, I was very lucky because I was working with so many people that knew me since I was like 13 or 14 because they had been to the studio. So there was like this respect. Right. And they had seen me growing up. So a lot of like the engineers, producers, like the older ones were super protective of me and um, they really took care of me as if I was their daughter. It was like uh, it was a really nice welcoming for me there. And then. So like a year almost a year past this and I'm like this is it this is my life I'm literally on top of the world or so I thought and I get a phone call from my family and they're like oh hey um we are planning to either sell the recording studios to this company whatever and they're not gonna Keep them as recording studios, or we're planning to like just turn it into these offices. Like they they were planning to close the recording studios for good, wow. and just do something completely different there because no one in my family stayed in the music business. So they were like, it's pointless, you know. We're like closing them, or we're and they were like, but we thought it was really important to check in with you first because I mean, even though you don't live in Monterey anymore, you're still part of this family. And you are in the music industry, so if you want to, you know, keep take the over. recording studios open and take over, wow. um, you need to move back, and then you can take over the studios. But you need to move back. That's like the number one thing, right? And then that part of the family business is for you, and you know they're yours, but you need to um, move back. And I remember my first answer was no, thank you. Like, I'm not moving back. I'm in LA. I'm killing it. (laughs) Or that's what I thought. And, um, no, I'm, I'm not moving back, honestly. Like it's not even some, you know, do whatever you want to do with the studios. Yeah. I mean, imagine. So that was my answer. And then I actually talked to Benny, which is, he has been one of my biggest mentors in my life. And he told me, wait a second, um, the music industry needs you. You you need to not think about yourself. You need to, maybe you see it as a really big sacrifice and maybe it is for you because you're leaving everything here. You know, your boyfriend, your friends, your um, apartment that you love, you're, you're leaving everything. But, you know, the work that I was doing, all the networking I had done. Um, and he was like, maybe it seems like, you know, a really big sacrifice in your head to like move back home after, you know, you already made like this big move to LA and to take over these studios when you've never managed any recording studios in your life. It's not part of your dream or anything. Um, But I think you have a responsibility to other women in the music industry that if you're given this opportunity, you have to take it and you need to stop thinking about yourself basically and move back and take over. And, you know, it's such an important place for art and culture. And honestly, like now that I think about it, Victoria Records, um, which used to be La Manción back then, really has been this very special place for so many up and coming artists. um,
0: Better, more evident testament to yeah. the quality of the work that you guys do here at Victoria Records than, you know, that. The artist himself or herself, you know, making that choice to come here and do yeah. it. Uh, that really, truly speaks. I would love, I'd love to hear, and if you can share with our audience, uh, not only what what was that challenge, you know, of course, of, of that transition, but what you've experienced uh, as a female and as a Latina in this industry.
1: Yeah. yeah. So one of the big things that I remember, one of the big points that we made in LA was as a Latina that is now moving back to Mexico and is taking over one of the top 10 recording studios in the world. You know, that's that's important because right. it's important for women in the industry in general. It's important for younger girls that want to get in the industry and honestly like when we made it to mix magazines like top 12 studios the other 11 recording studios were owned by men the only recording studio owned by a woman on the entire list was mine when i got nominated for you know for being part of an album as a producer um the entire category was all male producers. I was the only female producer on the entire category. And I was like, okay, this is so important. I remember that nomination,
0: the Grammy nomination. I was
1: like, the Grammy nomination. I was like, my God, if I hadn't been part of this project, then this entire category, there would be no female producers. So obviously like I started with time, I've understood how important it was that I made the move. And how many women have, you know, come up to me and said, Hey, I decided to go into the music industry because of you, or, you know, like I, now I get it. And also because we really see Victoria records as, I mean, it it is more than a recording studio. It is also obviously a, you know, a record label, a publishing company. We have Victoria films, which is our film production company. And, I really am a pain in the ass when it comes to like our crew has to be 50 percent women 50 percent men. if we're doing this it has to be 50 percent women and
0: you were sharing a, an anecdote where some uh, somebody had told you I think you're over overdoing the female uh, narrative i I was shocked to hear that actually you know normally yeah. you can do it you should it's almost your duty. And the yeah. role that you have now uh, to be a role model for other female, for other Latinas uh, in ge- yeah. in general, and for for young people.
1: Of course, and it's like, I mean, I remember when when the nominations happened. Everyone else, like all my guy friends who were who are also part of the people who were producing that, they were like, "This is amazing! We got nominated. This is like the beginning of our career." and I was like, okay, I got dominated. Um, I need to freeze my eggs because I really want, like, I don't want to stop now. I just got, you know, the most important moment of my career just mm-hmm. happened. And I don't want to stop right now, but also my age. Um, so That's so telling. The wow. first thing the that mindset. I thought about was like, I need to freeze my eggs so I can buy time and keep doing this nonstop. Like all my colleagues are gonna be doing it, right. and for them, they didn't have to think twice. They were like, "Oh yeah, we're, we can put our personal life on hold for ten years and just like work, 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 work." Because you know we're we're having a moment. And for me, I was like, "Okay, so I I need to freeze my eggs." That's the first thing I did after I got nominated. I went to the OBGYN and I was like, "We need to start freezing my eggs." And for me, it's just like I've had to really work 10 times as hard as a lot of the men that I know just to prove myself and to gain credibility. But also, I also understand that I, I'm i in a position where my family was already in the industry. And obviously, that's also been super helpful. And it's something that I super appreciate. And I'm very grateful for it. And I feel very privileged and very blessed because of it. So I I understand, you know, it's I I understand my situation. But for me, it's just so important to to keep talking about.
0: And fortunately, there's people like you that are advancing the industry that are trailblazers, not only for for female uh, uh, producers, artists uh, in a a male dominated industry and advice that you wish you had been given a few years ago?
1: Figure out a way to really have like a female mentor in this industry, because I really struggled with that. I really struggled with a lot of things or weird situations that have happened to me in Miami during like late night songwriting sessions and things that I don't want to get into detail about. But of course, you know, you there's so many things that happen in this industry. And I feel like I never really had a female mentor to sit down with and be like, hey, you know, I I went through this or this happened to me at a session. Should I speak up? Should I not speak up? You know, like there are so many things that are so delicate and that, I don't know, I, I just wish I had a woman in my life that was in the industry to kind of help guide me. Guide you. So... Yeah. And that's why I love like going to schools and I, I go to schools a lot. I've been to the Art Institute in Houston a few times. I've been to Berkeley. Um, I've done a few things all over Mexico of like just going to schools and like speaking to, you know, like
0: the Motivate engineers. and inspire yeah, mo- uh, yeah. young, young, the younger generations and female. Yeah. This is, this is uh, very very I mean very noble of you to do it. Um, no. <laughs> and, and Victoria, thank you so much. Uh, it's been it's been very yeah. inspiring to talk to you to hear your story, your life story. Uh, it's been really truly a, an honor, a pleasure for me to talk to you uh, for our Bso podcast and I want to thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart.
1: I want to thank you for existing and for being my best friend and for putting up with me. No,
0: thank you. And I love you.
1: I love you. I love you. I'm so lucky to have you in my life. We are cut from the same cloth, guys. We always say this. We're like, I've never met someone so similar to me. We are basically the same person, right? We are. We we truly are. We are
0: the same person like are on the same wavelength and so many things. Everything. Thank you so much, Victoria.
1: I love you, baby.
0: And we're back in the studio and we're thrilled to have Jen Farisi with us. Welcome, Jen. How are you?
2: Hi. How are you?
0: Very good. Thank you for being here. How are you? What's What's new?
2: Um. Thank you for having me. Tell us
0: about you. Where, where are you from? Uh, how did you start in music?
2: Um. Sure. So I'm born and raised in Manhattan and uh, spent a lot of my life as well in Queens. And uh, my path in music was kind of... Um, very natural and organic, thanks to my grandmother. Um, she was actually on Broadway um, when she was 18 and was in a few shows. One of them, um, her one of her larger roles, was being in Kiss Me, Kate, the wow. original Kiss Me, Kate, as Kate's understudy.
0: As a as a female in this industry, uh, it must I assume it must have been she must have faced a few challenges, not many.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, it wasn't um, very common for women to be working in a lot of cases. Uh, you know, the job was to really be at home. But my grandmother definitely wanted to be on the stage, and she wouldn't really let anything get in the way of that. Um, unfortunately, when uh, she got pregnant, that did end her career. She focused on being a mother, and I think that also is just organic, where you just want to be with your your children, no matter if you are. Um, what part of the parental role you fall into. I think you just want to be more involved with your family. You. And that's that's where she went, but she didn't stop with the music. My, my aunts and my mom were very much engrossed in music and surrounded by it all the time. And when I grew up, you know, she helped raise me. And I remember sitting at the piano when I wasn't even a year old, just plunking along with her.
0: Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. She must be really proud. I'm sure. I hope
2: so. And so so. (laughs)
0: tell us about your path in music, because I know that you play multiple instruments. You're one of those (laughs) multi-talented. You play saxophone. You play the flute. What else do you you play?
2: Um, I play clarinet. I play the different versions of them. So the bass clarinet, for example, and all of the saxophones. Um, I've dabbled with some oboe. And uh, yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. Um,
0: Any preference on all of those instruments? Let's see.
2: I mean, flute.
0: <laughs> Good answer. Great answer.
2: <laughs> um, but then after that, I would have to say Barry Sachs. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I don't really get to play those lines as a flutist.
0: <laughs> well, definitely not. Wow. So and I, I gathered that you uh, studied music in New York, in Manhattan, growing up with such inf- artistic influence from your family. So uh, you you tell us about about this path. You I guess at first it must have been kind of like a game and a given, everybody, you know, there was art and or music around. When did you start saying, I really like this, I better get going with practice and I'm going to enjoy this for, for the rest of my life?
2: Hmm. You know, that's an interesting question because I don't think I had that moment until high school, but I, because music was always just something that you just did. It was always there and it was always just assumed that you were going to continue. Not that I was forced or anything like that. If I didn't want to do it, then my family was fine with that as well. Um, But it was just kind of understood that this is just what you do. You just, you do mu- your music and you just move forward with it. Um And then in high school, I decided that I was going to be a bit more serious and just kind of see where I wanted to go with this and where the fates would take me and that's when you start working on your audition music when you're a freshman for your uh, college right. o- applications as you know <laughs> and uh, you just work on them a lot and a lot and a lot and you take your lessons three times four times a week and
0: <laughs> I know the drill right <laughs> and so you're a graduate of the Aaron Copland School of Music am I correct? mm mm-hmm. One of the best schools in New York, go Queens College. (laughs) And so tell us what brought you to to the BSO, to the Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra uh, and your about your roles in the orchestra.
2: Um, Well, I actually came down. um, A good friend of mine, um, Donald Moy, had posted that they were looking for some people to come in and do a Mahler reading. And I'm a big Mahler fanatic. So I was like, I will be there. See you in a little bit.
0: <laughs> Mahler, and, uh, I'm there.
2: Yeah, yes. <laughs>
0: uh-huh.
2: And that's how it started. Um, and I spoke to Nick and I said, you know, I'd love to come back. And, and it just kind of went from there. And um, I was playing in a couple of concerts just based on need. And then, um, you know, just with the way that life kind of moves, um, you know, we had some flutes that had decided to stay home, and they, you know, moved on to different projects and different uh, groups. And there was that spot there, and Nick said, "Come, have the seat, sit down."
0: <laughs> right, and but so but did. don't be so humble. Really, playing principal flute <laughs> is not just a coincidence like that. You need to have the chops, and you need to have the talent and the experience to take on such a role. So, credit, give credit where credit is due.
2: Oh, you're and, too sweet. And so <laughs> not only you. do
0: you do you play flute um, in the orchestra, but also you have uh, a role in your part of the, the board of directors and also uh, a role as orchestra manager slash, um, well, I guess we can say, well, not recruiter is not the word, but reach out Personnel. person. Yeah orchestra yeah. manager properly, actually. So tell <laughs> us about these other sort of roles.
2: Um, well, there were um, there were times where we would be missing somebody and uh, we would need to find a replacement kind of last minute, whether it was because of um, inclement weather or some really bad traffic or just a work schedule issue. And um, I had been fortunate enough to know people who would be able to actually come in very quickly and, uh, Nick kind of noticed and he was like, look, why don't you take on the personnel manager, um, role? Wow. And so I did. And, uh, it was, um, it was a very good experience. I still have it. Obviously it's just not, we're not really doing too much right now. It's just kind of stuck where we are. Right. Um, um, DSO has been in a very warm and welcoming environment. And, um, I know that as a wind player, it can be very intimidating to be in an orchestra of that caliber. Um, but they were very, very welcoming, and I know that when you see someone who's a little bit more reserved, but they have that talent, then they should be playing with us. And it's just nice to be able to connect with more people to help our group grow and to expand and to help deliver our, um, you know, our mission to the community.
0: Beautiful, and and indeed, I I can. Um, confirmed that you've you brought really great talent to the orchestra when we've needed to expand the roster of musicians. Um, one example that comes to mind is when we did uh, the Symphonic Dances of West Side Story by Bernstein, that conducted by your story, and that you really <laughs> brought uh, uh, a lot of musicians to join the orchestra as needed, as called for in the score. And Pais Rome was in the, in the program as well. Raspiq is of Rome, the Buccine, the um, musicians on, on the balcony and whatnot. So really, that that is all you. Um, Thanks. <laughs> and so you mentioned that, um, you know, the response, what we've had to do or not do given the pandemic. So can mm-hmm. you share a little bit about how is the orchestra, what are we, what, how, how are we responding to the current situation.
2: Well, kind of in this New York state of mind where you're not going to push us down, we have found ways to, you know, of course, being in complete compliance to still meet and be socially distant and have, you know, our six feet wearing the masks and being uh, completely cognizant of all of the rules and regulations and to still come together, um, strings only for now, uh, but to still come together and make music. And it's something that not only is it most refreshing, but it's necessary. Um, I think that if we don't continue to make music, um, it's not just the musicians who suffer, it's the audience, the people who want to hear it. And um, just having been involved in these projects um, during the pandemic, I'm incredibly grateful to have been at all involved in any small degree, let alone this kind of magnitude, but it's just amazing. The the people that come together are just so grateful to not only be in each other's company, but to make music, which you can try to do it virtually, but it's just not the same as listening to the people around you, to feeling, physically feeling the music and the vibrations that you guys are creating together.
0: Our last live performance was part of our uh, Mexico tour. Uh, in February 2020. Please share a little bit about about that um, trip.
2: That was such an incredible trip. And I, again, thank you so much for putting everything together.
0: Oh, it's a great uh, effort. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> it was Thanks for that. But it is really uh, everybody's uh, deal.
2: Yeah, you went above and beyond, Um, and I think we were so lucky, and I think in a lot of ways we were meant to be there, um, because everything kind of held off until the very end. Um, We did have a little bit of a scare. Are we going to be able to get it back home? Are we going to be okay? Um, But everything happens for a reason, and we were supposed to be there, and we were supposed to be doing what we do, and again, it was such an amazing opportunity to not only be in Mexico, but to share music. And it's just one of those opportunities to see so many people together. And now we're all separated, but to have had that intense togetherness,
0: right. oh my goodness, right was incredible. Right, right. There's still people really uh, reaching out in Mexico um, and, and in New York, you know, thinking fondly of that experience of in that residency at the National Conservatory of Mexico those concerts those uh, you know where were really something else and how special were they that you know we we had no idea what was coming we had no idea that the world was going to change
2: right
0: very soon uh and as you say we were very very lucky and it was meant to happen i agree um so also i would love to hear your thoughts on what we were discussing uh, earlier today in our little what's your what are your thoughts on this subject matter the role of a woman in music um, you, I know you've done a couple of uh, studio work recording so what what are your thoughts on this
2: um to kind of go with what Victoria was saying before um, it is still very much a, a man's world um, but there is a very great number of women that you can find on uh, the the growing stage, so to speak, um, where it's especially like as a conductor where you're allowed to kind of be up there. Um, and you would assume that with all these blind auditions, you would have more females. But yet when it comes to a role of like a conductor, for example, you can't have a blind audition for a conductor. You actually need to see that person. And I think just knowing that you're going to be visual, visual. During your audition, that definitely changes the way that people will perceive whether or not you're worthy to be on that role, that position, that podium. Um, for contracting experiences, um, I personally haven't had too much of an issue. Um, I present the, the job and the opportunity and people make their own decisions. Um, but I do know on the other end Um, I've gone to many, many jobs where I would be the only female. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, you know, it still is very much a man's world, but, you know, we're there and there's a lot of us and we're coming in. (laughs) Very much so.
0: Amen. Uh, And also, as a uh, specifically, not just as a contractor, but as an instrumentalist and as more specifically as a doubler, as a person that plays multiple wind instruments, I think I know a handful of female doublers mostly and this is r- really terrible are all male dollars in on on pit orchestras broadway off broadway um so what can we do what what are your thoughts on this
2: well i think a lot of it is looking beyond the player just listening to what someone is able to to play um I know that someone like me I'm very short so when I carry the the Barry Sachs and it's almost as tall as I am, a lot of people think that I can't handle playing it. Mm. Um, So let me play it for you and then make that decision. If you don't like the way that I'm interpreting something, that's a different story, but don't look at me and say that I can't um, carry the instrument, therefore I can't play the instrument. I can carry the instrument just fine as well. Uh, (laughs) But I I think that a lot of, a lot of discouragement is kind of the word I'm looking at uh, right now among women it becomes very discouraging as a female to know that it's going to be a man's world. So instead of walking into it, I'm just not going to take this job. I don't really feel like dealing with all of this. I don't want to have those vibes around me. Um, So I know for myself, when I sit down to a job and it's all men except for myself, um, I usually just tell myself, Hey, just play the notes on the page. Look up, watch, play the notes on the page and don't worry about anyone else. Listen to them, but don't look at them.
0: And prove and I just with your want talent. Them. You know, just exactly. go ahead, prove with your talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though those thoughts in your head, those threatening thoughts shouldn't even exist to begin with, right? It should just be, of course, based on artistic merit. But those thoughts are, I think, an unfortunate added obstacle that shouldn't exist and that we are... We, as an ecosystem of, of uh, artists, producers, recording artists, et cetera, are, uh, have instigated to this point. And fortunately, things are changing. Um, mm-hmm. Fortunately, things are, are looking better. Uh, but there's definitely still a lot of work to do. So tell us, what has been a memorable performance uh, at, in your time with the BSO?
2: Oh, that's an easy one. Everything in Mexico.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. That's great. Yes, it was absolutely. It was, really great. it was truly great. In particular, the second, the last performance, uh, rather, was at the Castillo de Chapultepec. <laughs> Literally, we played in a castle on top of a yeah. hill. Surreal, surreal.
2: It was amazing. And I was so impressed by the musicians that were there from all the different conservatories, um, but also just how welcoming again, the musical community was. And I think, especially living in this pandemic right now, I think not only to have been together to play music, but to have gone to another country where other groups of people came together, literally everyone coming together to play music before the shutdown. I, I mean, how much more amazing
0: can that be? True. I agree. And and really a testament of how music is the universal language. There were a lot of musicians that did not speak uh, local musicians in Mexico that did not speak English or good enough English to communicate effectively and the other way around a lot of uh or most uh members of the orchestra American musicians that did not speak Spanish so mm-hmm. it was a challenge but music really did the rest.
2: Yeah absolutely um when trying to communicate and I heard this from many different sections um, People would try to explain it, but then they would play it as an example. Here, this is what I'm talking about. And then without having to use any more language, it's just there because the music speaks for itself. That's beautiful. The pandemic has allowed things that we tend to, especially as New Yorkers, we're always in a hurry. So now we've been able to, we've been forced to slow down and to really kind of examine the world in front of us um, and the issues that we may have not even paid attention to, um, you know. It's very easy to say, "Oh, well, somebody got this performing job because they're qualified." But we all know that that's not necessarily the case. And in a lot of situations, it's who you know. And being a female in a still very male-heavy world, you know, a career field is is still overwhelming. But I think as a female taking the ownership and saying I'm here because I'm worth it because I can do it and not letting myself get to my own mind and knowing that I can still do this. So I'm going to sit here and I'm not going to run away from myself because I think a lot of the the time, you know, you can psych yourself out. Oh, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. Yes, I do. And I'm here.
0: And I'm not going anywhere. That's right. (laughs) Amen. And we're close with that. I love it. I love it. So um, thank you so much, Jen. It's been a pleasure to get a glimpse of who you are, to share with everyone what's happening in your life, what's happening with the orchestra. Uh, And also, now I want to ask you, I know you play a lot of instruments, so if you Mm -hmm. didn't play every wind instrument, (laughs) what would you play?
2: Oh, that's an easy one. Um, (laughs) um, It would be a tie. Between trombone or horn?
0: Wow, Absolutely. no string instrument?
2: No.
0: A lot of people are going to be offended.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love them. I admire them, but I am a huge brass fanatic.
0: <laughs> Very good. Thank you so much, Jen. Um, Thank you. I miss you. I hope we meet I miss soon. You. Thanks so much. Please visit Brooklyn for more episodes of the podcast. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Audio support by Eduardo Morales, Marco Zavala, and Pablo Garcia, all the way from Monterrey, Mexico, at Victoria Records. I'm Felipe Tristan. Thank you for listening.